Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Let's get started with today's podcast. Today, I'll be joined by Tracy Trost, and we're going to talk about something crazy called brain science. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how the human brain makes decisions and what this means for your marketing. I think you're going to find it absolutely fascinating. By the way, you want to reach me at Stelzner on Instagram or email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. If you're brand new, hit that subscribe button. Don't miss a future episode. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now let's move on to my interview with Tracy Trost. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Tracy Trost. If you don't know who Tracy is, he's a neuroscience marketing expert. He's also the lead visionary at TCM Creative, where he creates fundraising commercials for nonprofits. He's also a feature and documentary filmmaker who's been in the television industry for 30 years. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks. You know, one thing you might want to mention on the introduction, I've been in it for 30 years, so I started when I was about six. <laughs> Good. Then, so welcome if, to the if show. If you saw a picture, you wouldn't believe that. Welcome right? to the show, young man. So You know, I'm very excited to be here. I appreciate it. Hey, so today, Tracy and I are going to explore how the human brain makes decisions mm -hmm. and what this means for marketers. And I'm really excited. Tracy, I met you at Cliff Ravenscraft uh, event in Nashville, and it was really fascinating to hear you talk about the brain. But before we get there, I want to hear your backstory. How in the world did you get here? Start wherever you want to start and mm -hmm. then ultimately lead us into the neuroscience side of things. 
Well, I won't go all the way back to conception because I think people have that pretty much figured out. But uh, the thing that got me to the position of neuroscience and under- trying to get an understanding of the brain, why we do what we do, really comes from 30 years plus of being in the, in the world of marketing. I own several different agencies, uh, everything from direct mail to television to, you know, copywriting and everything. And over the years, the big question is, is how do I create something that will cause my potential audience to take action, right? And in the commercial marketing, I'll say I used to do stuff for like the University of Minnesota, you know, large chain stores, uh, you know, TV stations. And the whole idea there was just get people's attention and get them to notice it. So that it was there. Back then, I didn't realize or didn't know, I should say, what I know now in that I could create marketing materials and it could be a mixture of pictures, it could be copy, it could be a tagline, it could be a headline. And different things would cause the viewing audience or the the marketing audience to take notice, right? Like if I advertised when WB became a, a network and I was working with them in, in St. Paul, and we did a series of billboards and bus stops and things. And I tried several different images and different headlines. And I had some where people would, they could see a, an increase in viewership based on when we released the the marketing. But I didn't know then that what I was doing was triggering people subconsciously. I just thought I was a great marketing guy. And, you know, I crashed my paychecks when they came in, right? So over the years, it's like, how do, you know, why do people react to different marketing materials? Why do people get excited about certain things and not others? So that's kind of what got me into the world of, of neuroscience, you know, just the background of, of marketing, sales, and then um, storytelling, basically. How long have you been studying this neuroscience mm-hmm. thing? Just, I mean, when did it finally trigger in your brain that, hey, there's something here and I, I ought to go deep on this? Really heavily in the last six years, you know, I knew there was something there. I've always been a study of people, you know, and kind of gotten in, I don't want to say psychology, but I've always enjoyed people. I've always liked talking to people, getting their stories and really understanding what makes people tick. Right. And it was, it wasn't until I entered the world of nonprofit fundraising that it made me go, okay, here I have an audience again. I'm, I'm kind of faced with the same dilemma I've been faced with, with my other marketing you know, exploits. And this one, when you're in the world of fundraising, it's a little bit harder because like if I do a a series of commercials for a car dealership, you know, he puts them on on TV and he sees himself on TV and he's excited about it. Right. Whether they work or not. Right. When I do uh, marketing materials for a nonprofit, everything's measured by ROI. So if they're going to invest money into doing television commercials or some other form of marketing, if they're not seeing a direct correlation response to that piece, be it TV or, or web or print, it doesn't work, you know, because nonprofits have to measure every piece of money that comes in and goes out. They have to report it, you know, and they get rated by what is their cost to do fundraising. And if my cost to acquire is too high, then it just doesn't work. So I'm faced with this question. Okay, so here's this audience and I'm asking them to give me money for one of these charities that I'm working with. And it's a lot harder because it's measured down to, you know, the penny. And it's like, okay, how do I refine my skills to the point that I get to an understanding to what causes one person to give when they see a commercial versus another commercial? And you get a spot out there and you go, okay, this one's working well. So then we try and recreate something like that. 
we can make a spot that's just like the other one, but it doesn't work as well. And so that was my big nagging question. Why? You know, that's the big question. Why? Why does one thing work and another thing not work? That's much like the other thing, right? So that's kind of where we started studying. Okay, so why do people do what people do? You know, and what's common to all of us? And what's something that we all uh, have experienced in life and it's causing us to react or respond? So what are the advantages? What are the benefits? Why ought neuroscience or neuromarketing or whatever we're going to call this, why is this something that marketers ought to pay attention to? Well, because you're doing it many times and you don't know you're doing it. And when you have small pieces of success, you pat yourself on the back and you're happy with the response you're getting. But then when you're asked to recreate it, you don't know. You think you know what you did that worked, right? But you really don't know. And that's the dilemma. So if we can get an understanding of why people do things that they do, when we talk about neuromarketing, what is it in us that causes us to react or causes us to move? And if you can have that recipe per se, then when you're building your marketing materials, you can make sure that you've got these things in there and that you give yourself really the best chance possible of having success. So I think what I'm hearing you say, if I read between the lines, is all humans' brains, if we understand how those brains work, Yes. We can be better marketers. I mean, that's really what I'm hearing you say. Is that correct? That, yes. 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 So let's let's go back to one thing that we have to understand. So let's focus on people that live in the U.S., right? Sure. People who have grown up in the U.S. We have all been conditioned. So let's, let's go back to Pavlovian conditioning, if we can think about it, right? Uh, if you're not familiar with Pavlov's dog, he did an experiment with dogs, and he noticed that when the dog saw some food, his mouth watered, you know, anticipation of eating. So he thought, I wonder if I can get this dog to get his mouth to water due to something else. So he served the food to the dog and then he rang a bell and he did that, you know, every day for I don't know how long, but to the point when the food was served, the bell was rang. And eventually he started to pull the food out and just ring the bell. And the dog had the subconscious trigger to have his mouth water, just the sound of the bell. And much like that dog, we're the same way. We've all grown up in our lives. And up till about age seven, our brains are in what's called theta bandwaves or, or frequency, right? And that theta frequency is that one, it's the same frequency that you reach when you're uh, you know, older and you go under hypnosis. It's that frequency that absorbs information and it pulls information. And, and you got to think of your your brain almost like a hard drive, right? And your subconscious mind is your is your operating system. And you're always writing files when you're this young child. And as you get older, when certain situations come up, and we've all experienced it, where like somebody can say something or somebody can do something, and you have this visceral reaction to it, and you don't even know why you have this reaction, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like if you take and put a, a snake in a room, and you bring three different people into that room and you show them that snake, you can probably get three different reactions, right? The snake is the same, you know, but one person may love this snake and go, this is so cool. Look at this snake. Another person may be like, I don't really care. It's a snake who gives a rip, right? And another <laughs> one may be, oh, my God, I'm going to die if you do not get that snake out of this room, right? <laughs> same room, same snake, right? But what's the difference? The difference is what they believe about it. Right. Okay. And it's on the subconscious level, not on the conscious level, because they may consciously go, well, that's a common house garden snake and it should be fine. doesn't matter. They don't care what the facts are. All they know is that what they believe subconsciously, viscerally 
is how they respond. So long story to answer your question. <laughs> Sorry. But laying some groundwork here. Yeah. We have all been conditioned in our lives when we were young, when we we're up to age seven to 10 years old. So the thing that we have to understand as adults, most of the decision-making processes that we have made and make every day are based on what we believe. And most of those beliefs are based on things that we were taught before we were 10 years old, which is kind of scary because sometimes we make decisions basically based off a 10-year-old mindset. And it's not based on fact. It's not based on what should or shouldn't be. It's based on what I subconsciously believe about something and I react versus I respond. And that's something that's very important to understand is in most cases when we're putting our advertising materials out in front of our potential audience, our audience is going to react to this more than they're going to respond to it. So getting an understanding of what is common and the neuromarketing side, what's common with most people who say who live in the U.S., if we can understand those things, things that trigger people on a, on a regular basis, we can write our copy or make our presentations so that we are triggering people subconsciously because they're going to act on it more than selling them something. Awesome. So, so far, Makes what, sense? Yeah, so far <laughs> what we've learned is that by the age of seven, most people, that hard drive in their brain you know, mm -hmm. their beliefs and what they believe is important or not important, scary or good or whatever mm -hmm. has been programmed into their brain by the age of seven. And by the time that they're an adult, they've got an instinctive reaction that they don't even understand rationally why. Yes. That's what I'm hearing yes. you say, right? Yeah. So our rational brain, or I should say our primal brain, which is built to keep us alive, right? That's where your fight or flight mechanism is, is, is at, right? And we have reactions to things subconsciously, and we move based on those beliefs that we built up until about age seven or so. And we will react to them, again, subconsciously without even knowing that we're doing it. And there's a lot of things that are very common to most of us who live in the U.S., that we can identify phrasing and stuff. And so some of the stuff I'm, I'd like to share with you today, it's something that your listeners can use in their own, their own presentations. Perfect. So how do you define what neuromarketing is? Hmm. Well, the term neuromarketing is something that's not really even a term, just kind of made that up. Quite yeah. But honestly. how would you describe <laughs> it? You know, yeah. I mean, to me, neuromarketing is taking marketing materials with the understanding of what, subconsciously or neurologically, boy, that's a big word for me, <laughs> neurologically uh, affects people, again, in the subconscious mindset. So neuromarketing is marketing to the person's, not to their exterior brain, not to their prefrontal cortex, but to their primal brain so that when they see your materials, subconsciously they react to it or trigger to it and they have an affinity towards it or feel like they must take action towards it without even knowing why. Now, is this different than playing to emotions or is this somehow related? I'm curious because, you know, well, a lot of people say you need an emotional reaction. Is that separate or is that somehow encompassing? What's your thoughts on this? Well, emotions are based on belief, right? right? Let's go back to the snake. The person that believes that the snake is fine doesn't have an emotional reaction. The person who's deathly afraid of the snake subconsciously has an emotional reaction without even knowing it. Emotions are a response to belief systems. I so see. the idea is understanding belief systems, then you can tap into emotions. Perfect. Okay, so walk me through what do we need to know in order to <laughs> tap into this neuromarketing stuff? Because I know there's a lot of stuff we can talk about here. Tap into it. I believe you had 
Robert Kildani on your show. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Cialdini is, is the Cialdini. Yes. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Cialdini. He wrote the yeah. book influence. Yes. Influence. Yeah. Yes. Honestly, back in the day when we were just getting into this, one of his books was one of the impetus to us to really digging into this and trying to get an understanding of it. And I mean, we've read several books since, but there, I mean, he lists six things, the six persuasions you could say that is something that's common to each one of us, right? Reciprocity is one. We've been conditionally trained. In, if you live in the U.S., I'm not saying this is everybody around the world. In most cases, I would say yes, but let's just talk about the people in the U.S. We've been uh, socially conditioned to to respond. If somebody does something for me, gives me a gift, does something nice, says something nice, I feel an obligation, right, to do something back, to take action back, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm working on my uh, my fundraising stuff, you know, if I'm working with a VSO, a veteran service organization, I can say something like, you know, our veterans have done so much for us. We owe them, you know, we owe it to them to do something nice for them, right? Or do something or pay them back. Right. That's reciprocity. That's an inherent belief that I'm tapping into, right? And that's something anybody can do. It's like, can you show that your offering has done or is doing something? Some people will use lost leaders in their marketing, like send you the nickel in the package or send you the free something, Right. right. And the only reason that is, is because they feel like, okay, now I have an obligation to pay back a debt. Well, what right? do you think timeshares are all about? Right. They, they, yeah, exactly. They give you the free dinner or whatever in mm-hmm. exchange for a pitch. <laughs> and, and you even, in most cases, you even know this is happening when it's happening. Yet, because of the subconscious influence of all that, you, you take action on it. Right. I can't tell you how many people I know who said, you know, I want to send this timeshare thing and I knew I wasn't going to buy. And then they walk out, you know, with a, exactly <laughs> a 20 year contract on a, on a condo in Maui. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, I guess, you know, it's, uh, it's a good thing. So it's kind of funny. It's one of six that Robert speaks about. Right. Authority is another one. You know, we've been conditionally trained to follow and listen to authority. When it's given to us, that's why you see uh, celebrities or, you know, congressmen or mm. actors in different pieces of marketing. Again, these people are using this. Many times they don't know why it works. They just know it works. Mm. What they don't realize is they're tapping into that authority figure, right? And um, we're responding to it because, like, if President, you know, Obama says I should do this or if this actor, my favorite actor, you know, if Chris Pratt says it or something, you know. All those things, you do it because subconsciously you, you're conditioned to follow authority. There's several other ones. One that we've kind of, I need to talk to Robert because uh, we added one that we kind of discovered, and that's unity. And that's something where you can get, if you can make people feel like they're a part of something. It's like when you have a favorite football team and that football team doesn't do well that week, what do we say? We go, oh, man, we lost last week. Right. you know, Or, man, we killed it last week. Or we did this. Or we don't know how to pass, you know. And the thing is, is that bystander, that viewer, he has nothing to do with the football game. He's never played the game in his life, right? But because he has an identification with this organization or with this group, then he sees it as us or we. So can you put things in your marketing materials that makes the potential person you're trying to sell to feel like they're a part of something, right? And that they would see your service or your group or your product as something like that's a we or an us kind of thing. Awesome. I know that when we were preparing for this interview, you talked about theta waves and why, and you kind of mentioned it, I think earlier, tell Mm -hmm. me what the heck that is and, and why that's important and maybe what we need to know about that. Well, our brains, we, we move in different waves, right? 
There's alpha, beta, delta, theta, right? And boy, I'm gonna. This is a good quiz for me here. Theta is that is that area where we're in that receptive wave, like you say, when you're under hypnosis, right. you got heavy theta waves going. I'm trying to remember that between the alpha, beta, and the data. I'm not gonna remember these correctly, but some are cognitive. Yeah, I think it's the alpha waves is when you're going into the sleep realm where you're calm, right? And your mind isn't moving along, and then beta is in the um, thought process and planning stuff. So I'm going to have to say I'm not completely sure on alpha, beta, and data. Theta is the one I focus on most of the time. But we, our brains are – oh, and there's gamma waves too. Shoot, I forgot about those. So there's a lot of waves. <laughs> but our brains are you know hit these different levels of waves, and I don't really focus on that as much as I'm moving to more toward belief systems because the belief systems will cause the different reactions or, like you said, the different emotions. Just to clarify, so – what I'm hearing you say is those theta waves are what are super active when you're under seven, right? And that's what's, yes. that's what's setting your core beliefs in place. Yes. So maybe the bigger question is how the heck do we get at people's beliefs and how can we understand that? Well, that's the, again, that's coming back to the things that are common amongst all of us. The persuasions are those things. It's like, you know, the different things that we are all, I guess, common to us, right? Authority is one, reciprocity is the other, you know, social proof. Can I make other people believe that other people are doing this? They feel like they're part of something. Like in my marketing stuff, I'll say when you join thousands of other people who have already done this, right? That causes people to want to go, well, I don't want to miss out. And one of the, uh, it was funny with one of my fundraising clients, we added the line at the end, you know, please call now or go online. If operators are busy, please call again. And I remember the client was like, gosh, we don't want to say that if we say, uh, you know, we, we want people to think that they can get through. And I said, no, I want them to think that everybody else is doing this and you need to take action now or you'd be left out, right? Ah, fascinating. So, mm-hmm. so if you can make it seem like there are, are others doing these things, that's an important thing when you're looking at your copywriting. When you join thousands of others or you know, thousands have already done this or you know, that type of stuff, again, just depends on what you're trying to promote or trying to market. But if you can get the idea across to others that there's a lot of other people who are already doing this, is something that you should take part in, right? Interesting. I know that when I heard your speech, you were talking about things like dopamine and all this other kind of stuff. I don't know if that's a tangent, but I would love to talk about how certain kinds of things trigger certain kinds of like chemical releases inside the brain, because I think that's part of this. Am I right or wrong? I, I think that's a big part of this. That's the physiological side of it that people don't understand. There's several different types of drugs that... I call it a drug, but chemicals that are released in our bodies when different things happen. Oxytocin, which is called the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. Oxytocin is released in your body when you feel a sense of security, a sense of connectiveness, you know, to something. Um, That's something that I'm always looking to see if I can get that released when I'm trying to pitch to my people. I want people to feel good about something. Oxytocin, there's serotonin, which is, uh, I want to say is called the it's like the comfort, but it's tied to when people are in a state of like depression or downness, there seems to be a lesser amount of serotonin in the body. They're not saying that it causes, you know, a depression or anything. They're just saying that when you um, don't have, when you're not feeling well, there seems to be a lack of serotonin in the body. And then the one that we don't like of all, of course, is called cortisol. Cortisol is that stress hormone, Right. That's the fight or flight mechanism. When cortisol is released in the body, the thing that's interesting about that 
when cortisol is released in the body, it actually keeps the vital organs going and it turns off the reconstructive stuff in our body, meaning it sends adrenaline to the legs and the arms and the heart, right, for the flight. But like your hair and your fingernails and your cells stop regenerating during those times. And the thing that they're realizing now is basically that people in, at least in the U.S., are kind of living in a state of stress, right? And cortisol is kind of in the body all the time. And they think that's why a lot of people are really sick a lot of the time. So why know about these drugs, right? I mean, the goal is to try to release uh, oxytocin in the body. And oxytocin is released through memories. You know, can you show images that cause people to recall memories? It's also released through things when you have comparable values. And that's the thing we have to understand when we're marketing to our people or to our potential client, understanding who our client is, what is their age range, what is their nationality, what is their socioeconomic status. You know, if you know who your potential client is, you know, for me personally, I'm marketing to people who are, you know, age 65 and plus tend to be Caucasian, tend to be female, tend to be right leaning, right? So am I giving comparable values when I'm marketing to these people? Am I talking to them in a language that when they were six and seven years old, which would have been the the early 60s, late 50s, you know, or am I talking to them in a language that is today's language, you know, am I using terms? Am I talking about, I mean, what were race relations like for them at the time? What was the economic status like at the time? I mean, were we in a war during these times? So depending on how old your person is, your demographic that you're trying to reach, you really need to go back to when they were, you know, zero to 10 years old and see what was life like for them back then? What was the belief systems back then? What was the world like back then? Does that make sense? Totally. This is good. This is a very powerful tangent. What about dopamine? Where does that fit into this? Is that a chemical also? Well, dopamine is that, they like to call it the gambler's high, basically. Dopamine is that reward drug, right? And that's when you like, you're looking around your room and you find your keys that were lost. You get a reward. Or everybody, every time somebody hits the thumbs up on your post, right? The thumbs up on the post. Anytime. I mean, that's the thing. Social media is, right. I mean, everybody who's addicted to social media is quite honestly addicted to dopamine, right? So it comes back to marketing. When we're in marketing, can I do something that shows them something, tells them something, shares something with them that gives them that hit? Like if they take action, they feel good about it. And I think one thing that marketers need to understand is, there's really two forms of marketing that you need to be doing. And one is to that new potential customer. When I'm reaching out to them, am I giving them reasons to want to join? You know, like ones that am I giving them things that draw memories, comparable values. Um, and we need to talk about mirroring too. That's another thing. You know, am I allowing them to mirror their stuff in this? And once I have that client using my service or buying my product, am I continually sharing reasons to them that what they did is the right thing, giving them that dopamine hit, right? Yep. yep perfect. Let's uh, talk about that mirroring thing. What is that exactly? Mirroring, mirroring neurons are, are um, <laughs> they're the thing that's in our, basically built into our DNA that causes us to, I guess I would say it's a behavior in which one person, you know, subconsciously imitates the gestures, the speech patterns and the attitudes of another person, like as babies. We're hardwired to copy or to mirror what we see, right? Mm. When we see familiar or safe images, these neurons in our brains fire and they cause us to copy. And you see it with children. That's where 
language comes in. That's where like physical attributes, like people right. uh, laugh a certain way or walk a certain way or talk a certain way, like accents. You know, I'm from Minnesota and people pick on me because of my accent. That's all because of mirroring. And once again, when you mirror with someone or something, that dopamine is released. So when a baby, say like a dad is, you know, flexing his muscles and going like that, you know, the baby does it too. The dad laughs, the baby laughs, and they keep doing it. And we've all seen this. Or you, with my kids, it was always drinking out of a glass of water and then going ah, afterwards, right? And then pretty soon my kids are doing that. And they're, you know, six and eight, nine months old, right? And they're getting a hit of dopamine because they're copying me. This subconscious thing is saying, yes, this is the right behavior because this is what your your authority or your leader is doing in the in the tribe, basically. And so it becomes natural to do this and you get that dopamine hit. So mirroring and dopamine are really tied together. So I guess coming back to that, when in marketing, how do you show mirroring? So what I like to do is show my client doing or my, my potential client doing what I want them to do. Meaning, if I want them to, if the action I'm looking for is them to go online and click on a button and choose a selection to buy my product or to buy my service, I actually show, like if I say, please go online right now and, and do this, I show a phone in the hand of the person with the URL in there already and the person doing it as I'm asking them to do it, yeah, right? I Does see. that make sense? Yeah. I want them to mirror the behavior. So I'm saying, I want you to take a certain action and here's what it looks like. And then when they do it subconsciously, they get that dopamine hit and it feels good to do it. So this must be safe because life is all about being safe in our subconscious mind, right? And if I'm safe, it's good to get that dopamine hit. Then when I do it again, instead of doing it because it's, it's economically good for me or the service is good for me, I'm doing it again because I'm getting a dopamine hit and it feels really good. So I'm going to keep doing that to keep getting that hit. Right. So, so they can almost get addicted to your product or your service. So question on the mirroring. We may not all have a product where if they're watching a video, they could just immediately mirror the action. So does mirroring come into play with the desired outcome ever? For example, I see a lot of these drug commercials and they show mm-hmm. like the allergen and then all of a sudden the person's allergy free holding a basket of vegetables from yes. the garden. You yes. know what I mean? Is that similar kind of concept? Yes, to I think that's to a point, but I would go even deeper and actually show the person. I don't know what the, the laws are with drugs right. on TV, but you know, show the person taking the product or using the product. I see. Right? Got it. So if the desired outcome, like if you're sending a marketing piece to somebody and say it's web-based and they're reading through it, you know, just click on this button today, I would show somebody clicking on the button, right? Ah, got it. Uh, got it. In, in, a, in a still image. Or I would paint the visual picture. It's just as easy as taking your mouse and clicking the button. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Give them a visual ah, all right. image Got with it. words. Got it. You know, something like that. Now, why Why does what I'm hearing you say is that's powerful because we as humans somehow subconsciously like to mirror mm-hmm. others. But what about when it's marketing and we're kind of aware it's a commercial or an ad? I mean, does it still work? It always works. You see it all the time. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We want to be safe. And if you can get people to... Th- to feel like there are many other people doing it, that it's the right thing to do. Again, let's go back to the second half of what marketing should be. Once they've made the decision for your service or your goods, continually market to them, but not with asking for more, but with showing what they did is the right thing, if that makes sense. Say it again in so a different give, way. Give me an example of a client. What well, would, why don't I we mean, just take my conference, Social Media Marketing okay. World. Okay. Let's just say I want to get people to show up at Social Media Marketing World. 
Or do you want to get people to show up again? I guess that's what I'm saying. The second half. Okay, You've fine. You've already had. Sure. Yeah, yeah I had so thousands there. Let's say I want, to get, I want them to get them to come back. Exactly. So I'm guessing you, you're you reaching out to your sustainers, right? You're reaching out to people who. I'm have reaching out to already. people who have been there before. And obviously mm-hmm. also to people who've never been there okay. before. So you've had highlights, I'm sure. So when you have yes. your conference, I'm, I'm assuming you videotape them or record them in some way. Yep. When you have highlights, say there was one, if, if you take a survey, this is what I would do. So let me hit you with that. Okay. All right. I would be surveying people on site and even after the event to find out what were the three things that were like the highlight to everybody, you know, the majority. Right. 80% of the people said it was when Jimmy Smith got up on stage and he cried because his life was changed for being at your conference. Right. Okay. So then I would be sharing that story afterwards. Do you remember when we were here? It was so great. The sense of family, the sense of unity, man, we look forward to seeing you again next year. Who can you bring with you next year? You know, that kind of thing, you know? So recall those memories, right? Because they were there, they experienced it and they loved it. Now, not everybody but say it's eight out of 10 people, right? You're going for the majority. Keep giving them the, the best memories or the best things that happen or the best, I don't know, I guess the best yeah. s- stuff, I guess. I'm trying to think of what it is. Yeah, I mean, like, one thing. yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that happens at the event. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I'm sure there is. There's entertainment, know? there's sessions, there's mm-hmm. networking, there's connections that people make. It's, there's the table experiences where they sit down at, with people just like them. And all, yeah, there's millions of things. So but, say you had entertainment, so you had a singer there. Right? Yeah, and sure. Singers. Journal that, and then whoever's coming, I don't know if you have the same singer every year, but say you, you've got one returning, I would be getting a recorded message from that, and I would be aiming it toward the person, and I would put the onus on the person, meaning, you know, I'm Trace Atkins, I'm going to be at the at the show again this year, right. and I want you to know that you being there is what's my favorite part, or something like that. Bring it back to the person. One of our key elements is donor centricity. When I say donor, it should be client centricity. You know, if everything that you do points back to them being the most important thing, people will respond to that subconsciously and people will will want to do more of that because they get that dopamine hit. They feel good about themselves. Okay. So what about the situations where you do not have a, you know, obviously most marketers are going to say the bigger audience is the people that have never become our customers that we're trying to target with our marketing. Sure. Mm-hmm. So how could we use some of these to help get that across? What's your thoughts on that? Let's take. Well, do me this. Tell me yeah. your demographic. All right, my demographic is a marketer working full time for a business that is not his but or her age. Own. Age. Uh, okay, thirty-five to fifty-five. Uh, let's race. just say female mm-hmm. race, Caucasian, typically. Yeah, American. Mm-hmm. Married, um, single. Married with kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, has a lot of struggles. Economic value. Uh, you, know, I, you know, the boss is paying for the ticket. They're not paying for it themselves. Oh, so they don't work for themselves. They're working for somebody else. They're working else. for somebody else. Their boss has okay. to be uh, the one persuaded to send them. And they desperately want to go. It's been on their bucket list. Mm-hmm. It's been on their bucket list to go. Well, it sounds like it's more about convincing the boss than it is about the person then. Yeah, or it's empowering the person to convince the boss. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would teach them then the, 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 sub, the subliminal stuff at that point. You know, especially playing authority, but in reverse, you know, talk to the boss about being, you know, you want the best things in this situation. You want me to learn the most. You want me to take advantage of every opportunity. This is one of them. But I would have in all of my marketing, that same person in your marketing materials, this a picture of that person is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. And even a description of that person, if you talk about it or describing their life, you know, describing their situation, give them something they can attach themselves to something that they're familiar with. Mm. Familiarity is one of the six persuasions as well. You yeah. Know? 
things that we are familiar with, we tend to see as true because we're familiar with them. Not because they're true, but because we're familiar. So if I can speak your language, if I can speak into your world and attach, allow you to attach to, hey, this guy gets me or this organization gets me, they know where I'm at, they understand who I am, you become an authority in their lives because, not because anything you're saying is true, quite honestly, but because they're familiar with it. Does that yeah, make sense? Totally. So speak in, speak in a language of familiarity, familiarity to them. Uh, show them images where you want them to be. So show people who look like them, sound like them, smell like them, mm. you know, at the conference or, you know, somehow involved with your logo or something with the conference next to it. And then arm them with information that speaks the language of the boss. Because bosses are more looking at, okay, if I'm going to spend you know, thousands of dollars to send this person to, you know, this conference and it's going to cost this and they're going to be out of the office, blah, blah, blah. What do I get out of it? You know, what's in it for me? Right. Right, right, right. So I would be focusing on, especially on the neurological side, things that play to this person's belief system. So then I would get a profile on who is your typical boss? What's their age group? What's their age range? And talk to about things that cause safety for them, whatever those things are yeah. you know, in that situation. Yeah. Well, what, what, yeah, what we've tried to do is we put together this whole page called convince the boss and yeah that's we, have, great. we have a letter that they can send the boss we have different strategies mm -hmm. they can try we talk about ex explaining that it's not an expense it's an investment and it's an investment in you the individual so that that individual can be a hero for the company help them achieve their marketing objectives, exceed their marketing objectives, you know, the kind of stuff the boss wants to hear, right? So and I would be filling that with visuals, quite honestly. And I, I like would that. also go, uh, you need to understand uh, there's a thing called anchoring. Okay, tell me more. And anchoring is placing a number in somebody's mind to get them to respond to a number. So there was an experiment done, I think it was Cornell University that did, where they took a standard plastic keyboard and they put it in a room full of people and they said, what do you think the value of this keyboard is? Well, in that room, the average price range was about $16, which was actually quite accurate. Then they took a different group of people and they put them in the room, they brought the keyboard in, and they said, before you tell me what you think this is worth, first tell me the last two digits of your social security number. Okay. And what they found is the higher the number, the social security number went, the higher the perceived value, right? Really? So those who were zero to, let me look it up. I think I've got it in front of me. I can That's tell you crazy. Numbers. Yeah. And what happens is you anchor yourself on a number so that when another number comes in, it's not as high. Here we go. So those from zero to 19 thought the average value was $16. Those from 20 to 39 thought it was 26. All the way up to those from 80 to 89, like if my, my last is 7688, say. Uh-huh thought the same keyboard was worth $55, right? Huh. And it's that whole safety factor. If I come to you and say, I've got three different keyboards, one's $500, one's $250, and one's $100, right? Typically, people will buy the $250, right? I shouldn't use keyboard because nobody's going to buy a keyboard for $250. Let's say it's a, a crock pot, you know, something like that. So they'll go toward the middle because the middle is safe. I'm not the cheapest, and I'm also not the most expensive, mm. right? Mm. Anchoring is something that's important where you can put higher. So I don't, I don't know what you're charging for this event. Can you say that on this? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, it's different depending on when you're listening to this. But we do, mm -hmm. now that I think of this, we do use price anchoring. So our all-access ticket is the most expensive ticket, and that's $1,597. Then we have a marketer ticket, which is $1,097. And then we have a community ticket, which is three ninety seven. So, so I would go even farther than that. So you're doing grouping, which is fine, and I'm sure you find most of the people take 
pick the middle, right? No, most pick the most expensive one. Really? Yes. But <laughs> but generally speaking, it's because we design it so that there's usually less than a two hundred dollar gap between the middle one and the most expensive one. Ah, there you go. So and, it's like for two hundred bucks more, I can get that. Yes, yeah. and there's a lot more value included in the all yeah. the most expensive one, and that's great. So yeah. that's anchoring because you're at fifteen there, and you're only asking for two hundred more. Yes, I would even hide stuff in your copy that talks about in you know, like if you're saying what year did you start this? Uh, eight years ago, two thousand thirteen. So I would even write the numbers 2013 out. So since 2013, we've been doing this. And give them huh. numbers that are higher than your asking price, your top asking price. So they start seeing these higher numbers. So then when you actually ask for a lower number, it's safer. That's crazy town. <laughs> I know, but it works. <laughs> that is nuts. You talked about being safe earlier. Can you talk to me about mm-hmm. what that means? Did we already talk about that or no? No. I mean, that's that's really one of the core principles. All of us want to be safe. Uh, our primal brain is is built to protect us, and it's kind of that herd mentality. It's like when you see, you know, a, a group of gazelles out in the in the wild, right? And the prey comes along, the group gathers together as a whole, right? And they move on out and they they run away, right? Away from the prey, whatever it is, and they stick together. If and we're a lot like that, though. The funny thing about it is we want to be unique. As individuals, yet I don't want to be different than anybody else, right? And you see that in clothing trends and other things and car colors and even movies that come out. You see one disaster movie, next you know there's 10 disaster movies. Not because we needed 10 disaster movies, just because it was safe at the moment, at the time. So most of our decision-making process in the subconscious level is more about being safe than anything else. And so am I doing what everybody else is doing? Yes. Why? Because that's safe. Am I, you know... Presenting something that I'm trying to think of another example, uh, even with authority, following authority uh, is safe. Social proof, you know, when I see others doing it, it's safe. So if you can speak to people's safety, you know, like picking the middle number mm-hmm. is safe, you know, things like that. Remember, whatever it is that makes you feel safe when you do it or comfortable when you do it, that's going to subconsciously want to trigger people to do it. Very interesting. If it's all people, primal. If people, Tracy, is there any particular um, resource that you've been reading lately that it's been kind of, other than maybe Cialdini's book, Influence, that's been kind of really mm-hmm. eye-opening for you or any blog or podcast or anything along these lines? Or do you even have one that you talk about this kind of stuff on? Uh, you know, I had a, a blog, my own podcast called The Successful Life Mindset that I actually did 20-something episodes with Cliff Ravenscraft on that. Is it on this topic? Uh, it's more on the understanding of the mind and understanding why we do what we do. And it's more on the motivational side. Got right. It. And that was done before I really got into the neuroscience. So I was not knowing it at the time I was tapping into this stuff. Right. I just didn't have the knowledge that I have now on it. But when it comes to books or podcasts, you know, I listen to, I don't know, I listen to a bunch of them, but there's a guy named, um, I just listened to him this morning. Keep talking. And I'll It'll come it. back to you. <laughs> why, why you're why you're thinking of his name? Why don't you tell everybody where they can? Joe Dispenza. That's it. <laughs> Joe Joe Dispenza. How Joe you, Dispenza. Yeah, yeah. What's the name of the Joe, show? Do you know? Uh, no, he's. You just look up Joe Dispenza on okay. on YouTube. There's all kinds of stuff on there. Got it. But the other one is, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar has a podcast which is fantastic. Bob Proctor is another one I would look up. Who cool. really? Bob Proctor is the guy who really digs into what the brain does and why the brain does what it does. Awesome. Uh, but they're all over out there. I listen to probably four podcasts a day, you know, just in my in between times, just trying to feed my brain always with this stuff. So it becomes natural, right? It was automatic. Perfect. Tracy, what if people want to reach out to you? Where would you send them? 
easiest place to go is just tracytrost.com t-r-a-c-y-t-r-o-s-t.com Tracy, thank you again for coming on and answering all of my questions about the brain. It was absolutely (laughs) fascinating. I really appreciate you. I hope it was helpful to you and your audience. And by the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's interview and you missed it, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 385. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Hit that subscribe button. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.